Welcome to Hillcrest Church Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. So good. Kathy, thank you for representing Sri Lanka Community Concern so well. Uh, Teresa and Roger, we're so glad to partner with you. Uh, let me take an opportunity to, to thank Dawn and Beth Snyder for uh, the Advent candle lighting and devotional thought, and really all those who've participated in that. It's been a really wonderful way to be in your home and be connected with you in this season. Um, If I haven't met you yet, my name is Christian Lindbeck. We're really glad uh, to have you gathered with us today at Hillcrest in this third week of Advent. Um, If you're just jumping in with us now, if you've been around, you've heard this a lot, but if you're just jumping in with us now, um, Advent is a Latin-rooted and Roman world-loaded, culturally-loaded term that essentially means something like to arrive. Uh, Among Christians, this Advent term has been applied to the realities of Jesus's first arrival and the assurance that he will arrive again in his return. So this arrival language has come to define a season for Christians of acknowledgement, encouragement, wrestling, lament, and in always reorienting ourselves under the Jesus-revealed truths about who God is and who we are and what life is all about. Uh, by a much older church decree, this All year waiting, orienting, lamenting, pining reality has been focused down into these four weeks before the celebration of Christmas. Christmas marking this reality, this historical birth of the eternal second person of the Godhead into the flesh and blood baby Jesus. Now, in in many ways, I want to agree, it's really good for us to have this uh, annual reminder season because we are a people living in between these arrivals, his first and his assured second. And that means uh, we need the reminder. We live established under a whole new truth, but live in a world that is not yet totally submitted to it. So we certainly need the reminder. But I'd like to suggest that uh, we need it much more often than just these four weeks of the year. In fact, uh, the scriptures, Jesus himself is abundantly clear in several places that we are to live in such a way that daily anticipates his return and actively embodies that future reality in participatory living right now that makes us future bringers, this future reality that we're living right now. So if we're wise, we let this season of Advent be much more like a primer uh, than the sole time of the year that we live considering this life in between. Because as soon as Jesus entered 
physically into human history. He split history in two. It couldn't go back and be the same. Jesus inaugurated an entirely new era, new understanding, a comprehension of who God is and who he is and what we're doing. Now, I want to be thoroughly clear on this, that God has never been a stranger in his own creation. Indeed, history or scripture prevails upon us to see that the entire creation shouts his name and his existence. Um, Our own bodies, our spirits, and our minds reveal that there is a God. Our ontology, that is our very physical being, is a magnificent, proving declaration that God is. I mean, honestly, who can look at their hands uh, moving around at their will, looking through their own eyeballs at the will of their mind, cognizant of being alive while hurtling through space on a living planet, and not cry out something like, there is someone or something greater than me. And God revealed himself to the very first human beings on earth, and he just never stopped doing so. Most pointedly, through the people who came to be known as the Israelites. But in all of this, There was still a fog of thorough understanding. God kept revealing himself, but he knew that he had a more sufficient revelation coming. There was still a veil between who God is and what he was really thinking and human beings. God being so completely other and humans being beautiful and immense and capable and wondrous, but nevertheless so different from God that there was... a veil of understanding, a necessary difference, at least at a sufficient level. That is, until Jesus came. Right? What a perfect solution. How does the Creator reveal themselves, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? What better way than to enter into creation? Jesus arrived, and everything that He said and did, beginning with His choice of birth, what it looked like, uh, driving straight towards his choice of death and crescendoing in his resurrection, all of those proved what was true. What better one to tell us about who God is, who we are, and what life is all about than the one who created us and orchestrated it all? And we just know that after which... Without malice, but with love and a plan, Jesus left this physical and therefore limited revelation to humanity. And he ushered in this area where the Holy Spirit, God, could be in and with and intimately and totally with all the time necessary with every believer. And thus he could reveal this truth of life under Jesus in the in-between. And that's where we find ourselves, in between, right? This time living in the middle, year after year in this season of Advent, um, reminding and encouraging one another and asking ourselves, how do we live in the in-between? How do we not give up 
or get discouraged? How do we not cave in and live some sort of half under the truth, truth and half under the broken system's construction? Um, here's where I'd like to drive home a point that Tim made so beautifully last week. We do that by keeping our eyes locked on the one who came and will come again. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says it so clearly. I love that the writer essentially asks this question for us. How do we run this race? How do we live in the in-between? And then he answers this question for us. We run this race. We run it with perseverance. The race that has been marked out before us. How? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Let me, let me say that another way. Fixing our eyes on Jesus because he is the one who established what is true. And he is the one who will bring it to completion. So we run the life in between by running after Jesus. So what serves us better, what we've been talking about in this living in between, than making you know, checklists of how we live in between is more to describe the nature, the texture, the benefits of living underneath the truth as established by Jesus during the in-between. So to do so today, I want to turn our attention to Psalm 37. Um, I love the book of Psalms because it is sort of delightfully honest in its hand-wringing and in its trusting. Like if you want assurance that the way you're thinking and wrestling with faith, uh, Psalms is a great book to turn to. In fact, if you're looking for it, you can kind of think of it as at the heart of the Bible. It is emotionally uh, vulnerable and honest about this life in between. Um, in Psalm 37, I, I don't have time to read you the whole thing today, so you're going to hear me say a few times, I really want to encourage you to spend some time thinking about this life in between, eyes on Jesus, what does this look like, feel like, what is the texture of it, uh, to turn to Psalm 37 in your consideration. And I want you to hear encouragement from one who knew a lot about life in between. This song prayer was written by King David. And uh, David knew a lot about life in between. And even though he didn't have the benefit of seeing Jesus, he did have the benefit of a very intimate relationship with God. So he knew about living under the truth, and he also knew about cataclysmic failure. And so David knew a lot about what it took like to live in between. In fact, the, when Jesus arrives, Jesus' words and revelation only underscore and exclaim these inspired words of David. So here, Psalm 37, this is the nature of the life in between. When one keeps their eyes focused on Jesus who came and established what was true and carries it through to its completion. Um, it will be really hard for me, to be honest with you, to not turn each line of this psalm into its own sermon. So I want to say again, uh, please take the time to read and consider and unpack these verses on your own this week with your family or when you have time to be quiet or in your, with your small group or roommates. Um, let's begin in verse 1. Verse 1, he begins again describing life in between. What's, what is the nature of life when your eyes are focused on the truth? He begins with, do not fret because of those 
who are evil. Now, I want you to catch that difference. Not just do evil, but don't fret because of those who are, are evil. I just love this description of we live in a world where truth has been established, but the world is not yet totally submitted to it. And Jesus is saying, look, there's always going to be people who aren't just uh, ambivalent towards what you consider truth, but hostile towards what you consider the truth. There are going to be people who are openly and proudly opposed to the truth about Jesus. You may remember a couple of weeks ago, I used the illustration of a vast subterranean city and somebody who comes and turns on the light and exposes the truth. Uh, and I suggested then that we can see throughout history that some people won't just run away from the light. Many will run from the light, but some will turn to strongly oppose the truth that has been revealed by the light. No matter how much light they're exposed to, they are always going to run or oppose it, and we can count on it. This book tells us that we can count on it. In fact, furthermore, I think it suggests that it will get much worse before it gets totally better. And what here is David's advice about the nature of living in between? Does he say, uh, here's a good time to freak out or buy guns or sequester ourselves? He, does not, he doesn't say any of these things. Right? What does he say? Don't worry about it. Don't, don't wring your hands over this. And you want to say, how do we do that? How would we not worry? I mean, have you ever made a checklist that says, do not worry? You know? <laughs> how do we not worry? And he's literally saying, by eyes focused on what is true. Uh, if you understand what's actually true about the world, then you, actually, then you can, under truth, emotions will sometimes follow truth, at least under truth can say, I don't need to worry because this is not the fundamental reality of the world. By focusing our heart and mind, emotions and convictions on Jesus, who by his life, death and resurrection proved what true, we can say evil does not win. Death, even unfair death at wicked hands, would not be the end. Eyes on the truth has even inspired peace upon the stake of the martyr. I do not worry that there are evil because I know what is fundamentally true. Let's, let's drop down to the next line. He says, or be envious of those who are doing wrong. Like I said, it's going to be hard for me to not make a sermon out of each of these because I can think to myself, um, don't fret, wring my hands because there are evil people in the world, although it's actually hard. This one's a little, check, this one's a little hard for me. Also, do not envy their life, their wealth, their values, their so-called freedoms, and privileges. We're urged by David to not, and I want to remind you, he knows what he's talking about, to not envy this empty and truthless life. That's a big one. Do not envy when you see people who don't live under the truth in the in-between, and it appears on the surface to be an easier way to live. Don't it? You can only not envy that with eyes on the truth. Keep your eyes on what is true. And I, again, I could turn each of these into a much longer sermon. Uh, if we go to verse 2, verse 2 is his punchline. Uh, like over and over he's going to land on this punchline because he submits these temporary situations to the long view 
of what is actually true. So let me read verse 2. He says, he just said, right? Don't fret, don't be envious. For like the grass, they, by they, this is the, both the evil, just this, this way, this world system will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Let me, let me just summarize it like this. This world way doesn't last. One day, and it will be a soon day for God, truth will totally triumph. And he's just trying to say, look, in retrospect, these days will be lost to the vast reaches of time. In comparison, these values, these lives, these things are like a whisper. They're like a lone flower that grows up and seems to tower over its desert kingdom only to wither away and be gone by the afternoon. The long story of truth is God's restoration. I'm going to group verses 3 and 4 because this is so rich. But I want you to see kind of a rather than, here's, here then to you living in the in-between, do these. Verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. I want to read that again. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Let me summarize again. Since there is actual and great truth about life in the world, these are freedoms that we enjoy. The freedom to trust, to do good, and to dwell in the land in between with safe pasture. I love the and do good. I want you to trust in the Lord, and in that trust, I want you to love God and your neighbor is the way Jesus might say it. Do you relax, trust, and do good. Live a life in the land. Verse 4 really gets to the heart of the matter. Listen, he says, trust and do good. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Um, I prefer the more literal translation that is in the scripture. Delight yourself in the delight yourself in the Lord. Uh, the Hebrew word here is actually a command that's reflexive. In other words, cause yourself to take delight. I love that because Christians are sometimes imagined as like cold and joyless people by people who are outside. I love that there's this little command. Take delight, delight yourself. Delight yourself. It just has a focus in the Lord, in the truth. And guess what? The Lord loves friends and hikes and great food. Like real Christians live crusty good lives. Delight yourself in the things that the Lord delights. And what does it say? I love his answer. Uh, It says, delight yourself. And it says, and he will give you the desires of your heart. How about that? A God who really wants to meet the deepest desires of our heart. He's not miserly. But if you think about that, I think sometimes we think that thin pleasures are what we actually deeply desire. But, but, but that's not actually what we deeply desire. Most people deeply desire the very promises that are there. Love, joy, peace. God wants to meet the deepest desires of our heart. Um, Let me pick it up then here back in verse 5. Now, verse 5 sounds to me a lot like Proverbs 16.3. 
So I'm going to read it. It says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. Now, when you hear it, it sounds like I'm making a plan. I prayed about it, checking in with God, uh, good to go, which, which is good. But the actual language says much more, and I want you to hear it, that this word for commit your way to the Lord means something more literally like roll the weight of the burden of it upon God. What is it that you think that your life is about? Your work, your family, the things. What, what dream, what way are you carried along with God? Here's this thing. Given that this is true in the in-between, God said, Get, put the weight of it on me. And there is, I just love this idea of an image of putting this burden on him. And then what does it say? I'll take care of what needs to be done. Now, this is a mammoth act of trust. This is literally releasing and say, I give it over to you. Now, he's going to keep unpacking this theme. He says, um, and I'm going to come back around to it here in a second, because in verse 6, he's going to say, um, after this, he says, He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Now, uh, I want to rephrase this again. Something like, um, God will, as sure as the sun will rise, God will vindicate this way, this uh, reality, these truths of the life in between. You can count on it. Your life will shine as bright as the day. Now, verse 7 is going to start hitting this, kind of hit the heart of American can-do, get-her-done Christianity. It says, So, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. This word for be still is going to be deeply uncomfortable for many American Christians because it says, do nothing. (laughs) Commit your way. Trust God and then do nothing about it. Now, I I can actually feel the hackles raising for some people. (laughs) Well, I mean, we still have to do our part. We still have to work at it. Yeah, sure, that's good. You want to remove any confusion about your work, the things you desire? Trust that there's actually a sovereign, present God with you who can easily orchestrate your life. Now, some people are going to say, that's naive thinking. Uh, It's funny as David knew that some people were going to say, that's naive. David, if you want something, you got to take it. Like if there's something, you got to go get it. You can pray to God about it, but if you want it, you go get it. Notice what he says, picking up here in verse 8. He says, don't worry when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Let me rephrase that again for you. Don't worry when you see people who are succeeding by climbing the ladder, getting what they want by taking it, because that is not the ultimate reality of life. While you're living in between, the truth is what I've told you about who I am and who you are and what life is all about. And this is the, this is the good that life looks like living by the truth in the in-between. He wraps it up, and I'm going to go to verse 9. I'm going to include verse 10. And again, I wish I had more time to unpack this, but he says something like this. Verse 9. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. You see, in a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not 
be found. Here's the long view of history. The long view is that Jesus will come back. He will totally restore the earth. He will fairly judge evil and he will make all things well. He will complete this age and usher in the new age of a newly restored heavens and earth. And as we've said, these days, these trials, these ways will be so far gone, so lost in the rear view mirror that what it says here is something like, even if you were curious and weren't looking for it, you wouldn't be able to find it. God so totally restores the earth that they are so far gone and truth wins. It's just a touch of the hope of the good of life in between. And I hope, dear friends, that these words are an encouragement to you. They are a balm to my soul and my wearied nerves sometimes in a troubled life. And I confess to you uh, my struggle not to wring my hands over evil or to envy their lives. Uh, But this season brings us back. It points us to the truth. And it convincingly pulls our life back under alignment with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit so that we can see each of these days in between as rich and invaluable. This week, I hope that you'll take some time to read Psalm 37. Carlo's going to start making his way back up. And that you'll put it into the context of the brass tacks of your life, into your homes, into your work, into your finances, into your own history. These truths about Jesus have calmed a trillion nerves. And as I said before, truth has even turned the gallows of the enemy into a welcome testimony of the big realities of life in between. Happy Advent. Would you join me in this prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, that in the midst of our lives, you come and establish what is true. And that you don't come and establish, this isn't yet the totally restored heavens and earth. But you establish such fundamental truth in the midst of our living now that we're able to say with assurance, we trust you. We know you are working these things out. And with this subtlest shift, we begin to say how good it is to live, even in difficult times, even in the in-between. How good to know you, to trust you, to walk with you, to see your truth uh, unpacked in our own lives, to be future bringers of your peace now. Uh, We really do look forward to the time where you restore the earth. You make things well. And that we look back with great appreciation on the life we had in between. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Church. For more info on this and other sermons, visit us online at hcbellingham.com or join us at 9 or 11 a.m. any Sunday morning, 1400 Larrabee Ave, Bellingham, Washington.